Ristolainen still with it. Yeah, he got it across ice. Back to Ristolainen. Off the That's the loudest goal in Buffalo this year. Plank off the pipe in behind the goal to Talbot. Buffalo wins it in overtime. Oh, hi, hello. Welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's worst podcast for America's worst hockey team, the show where the hockey is bad, the analysis is worse, and the opinions are our own, because nobody else would want them anyway. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, we're going to take a look at covering the major points from the opening few days of the preseason, including the first few performances, some unfortunate injury news, and the news of Sam Reinhart's contract that we've been waiting for all summer. Before we begin, I'd like to tell you that we are primarily a Buffalo Sabres podcast covering the ins, outs, and miserable sufferings of that team we hate to love. If you enjoy this show, please stop by and drop us a five-star rating on iTunes and tweet us your questions at ickgaw on Twitter. That's I-C-G-A-W. You can also drop us an email at ickgawpod at gmail.com. You can find all that information in the show notes. So after spending last week talking about the preseason roster and who was on and who was not on it, uh, we're just going to jump right into the opening season against the Columbus Blue Jackets. This game was in Columbus, and it was not televised. If you were internet savvy, there were a few creative ways you could watch this game online. Ultimately, the highlights ended up on the Sabres Twitter feed, and you can check them out on there if you would like to see them. This was very clearly a B squad coming out for this team. Uh, none of the big guns really making an appearance here. No debut for Skinner, no Eichel, no Ocposo, uh, no Casey Middlestat. Sam Reinhart was still without a contract at this time. Um, but we did really get a chance to see some of the new guys. And it was a chance for guys like Tage Thompson, Alex Nylander, Brendan Gooley, Victor Olofsson, and Linus Allmark to impress as they kind of enter most of their rookie seasons, at least with the Sabres for a lot of them. Um, alongside veterans like newcomer Patrick Berglund and some solid AHL guys like Kyle Criscolo. It was kind of a mixed bag of players coming in. You had a lot of young players um, who had been in the organization, a couple young players who were new to the organization, a rather veteran player in Patrick Berglund, new to the organization, and then also a bunch of guys who will definitely spend be spending most of their time in Rochester, like Matt Tennyson, Will Borgen, um, and who else I'm thinking of one more, Kyle Criscolo that I mentioned earlier. Um, they got off to a really good start. Tage Thompson was doing some good work along the boards, and I don't know that it was necessarily intentional, but the puck fell to Nylander behind the net, and he laid just a killer pass to an incoming Patrick Berglund who powered at home, just Swede-to-Swede assist. Um, Nylander registered another assist on the power play, playing some skillful passes back and forth, and he tees up Nathan Beaulieu for a blast who lets one in. Uh, Columbus came back with one through Savard, but some close-range goals from Chris Scolo and Andrew Ogilvie made the result safe. There were definitely some standout performances from guys like Nylander, who, after a rough couple of years, might have had a shout for being the best player on the ice. Obviously, he recorded two assists, but he looked sharp, he looked fast, he looked strong, and 
think a lot of Sabres fans are really rooting for this guy. He has faced two consecutive preseasons where he has gotten injured in camp and then never gotten his feet on the ground in the AHL. Could this finally be the season that he makes the team out of camp, can maybe find some minutes on a second line, maybe even top line NHL role? Really excited to see that. Tage Thompson also looked pretty good, showed some good skating ability and just ability to use his body. Um, I was <laughs> joking joking with a friend the other day, like Tage Thompson reminds me if uh, Marcus Foligno had actually been good. He just seems like a big, tall, strong, but also able skater with a decent shot and decent technical ability. He could really be a player once he fills out. He looked pretty impressive in this game. And... Patrick Berglund was definitely one of my standouts in this game as well. He could definitely make his veteran presence known among this roster. Just his awareness, his defensive play, his playmaking, his movement. And we're going to talk about it later in the show. But I really think Pat- Patrick Berglund is going to make a really strong case to be the number two center in this organization to start the season. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, after this game, there was some unfortunate news about some injury concerns. Uh, Connor Sherry, after coming in this summer, is currently week to week with an upper body injury sustained in the opening day of training. The really big bummer is Sean Malone left the game against Columbus and is out for possibly six weeks with a knee injury from the Columbus game. And that's really unfortunate for him. A lot of people were talking about his opportunity to possibly carve out a bottom six role, particularly as that fourth line center with the Sabres. And if not, he was going to continue some great development from last season in Rochester. He was really battling it out with Rasmus Asplund to possibly make the make the team. This is definitely a huge damper. Um for his opportunities early in the season, and we're going to have to hope that he can he can come back healthy and strong and hit the ground running. One that was very concerning that I didn't know about previously and we'll do some more research on is that Matt Hunwick, um, also coming in with alongside Connor Sherry from the Pittsburgh Penguins this summer, is listed out with a neck injury, and the timeline for his return is indefinite. And all of those factors sound very concerning when you put them together. An indefinite neck injury does not seem positive. I'm going to do a little research and come back on this one in terms of what what's actually going on. I couldn't find a whole lot, and so hopefully something will come out in the near future about what's going on with Matt Hunwick. Not officially on the injury roster, but uh, Phil Housley did say that they are, quote, taking, taking it easy with Bogosian after his injury-laden couple of seasons and a recent hip surgery that he had this past summer. Like, I understand this. I mean, he's just coming back to the ice. He wants to come back healthy and strong and not have the last couple of seasons that he's had. Um, fun, like, fun little Bogosian fact. Um, I did some math. I looked up some stats from Zach Bogosian. And over the last three full seasons, so if you remember correctly, he came in partway through uh, four seasons ago now in the Evander Kane trade. But considering the last three seasons, he made 138 appearances. Um, In that time, he's been paid $16 million in salary payout, 5.25 for the first two and 5.5 for the last one. 
And if you do some quick division, it means the Sabres have paid out $115,942 for every appearance that Zach Bogosian has made for the Buffalo Sabres. And this, you know, and I'm not trying to slight the guy. I actually really love Zach Bogosian. I love his philanthropy work. I love his presence in Buffalo. I love his presence on the ice when he can actually be on the ice. Um, but I was just thinking about just the the re- almost ridiculous nature of his lack of ice time this season, or sorry, these last three seasons. I really hope that this taking it easy, quote unquote policy really pays off and that we can see a healthy Zach Bogosian who can contribute to this team for this season and next season and who knows after that. Um, but again, not officially on the injury record, but I would be very surprised if we saw Zach Bogosian on opening night in a couple of weeks. Um, moving right along, we did have a home game against Pittsburgh last night. Um, last night in terms of recording, it was Tuesday night. And, uh, after the lineup came out for the Monday game, it was pretty well publicly decided that the stars were going to come out for the home game against Pittsburgh. And so because of that, I decided to look into going and tickets were ridiculously cheap. Uh, I bought a 300 level ticket for $6 and, I was pretty excited because I don't think there will ever be a time where I'll see Jack Eichel, Rasmus Dahlin, and Jeff Skinner on the ice for $6. And it was a great time. And we're going to talk about this result, but I'm going to put a grain of salt out there. This was the Penguins' B to possibly C team. It was the equivalent of what the Sabres put out against Columbus, but maybe even to a further degree. There were virtually no top six starters outside of Jake Gensel. So, I mean, Crosby and Malkin were probably in the building. They do play, I believe, against Detroit on Wednesday night. So they were certainly traveling with the team, but they were not on the ice. Uh, They were definitely backup goalkeepers. There was no sign of Matt Murray. And then meanwhile, on the other side of the ice, Buffalo had most of their starting contingent outside of Berglund, who played the night before, Sherry, who was injured, and Sam Reinhart, who at the time was unsigned. Um, it finished 3-2, but Buffalo dominated the, dominated the proceedings for most of the game. Uh, goals from Sabatka, McCabe, and Jack Eichel. And uh, I have the first goal from Sabatka in quotes because this was just a mess of a goal. It was just a scrum in front with Sabaka and Skinner hammering away. Puck ends up bouncing between Skinner and Sabaka, then in the air, then off a of Penn's defender, and then into the net. And it was almost like a comical celebration to open up the night. Um, bit of a scrummy goal, but we'll take it. Second goal was Jake McCabe, and this one was really impressive. And we're going to talk a little bit about Evan Rodriguez in a couple of minutes. Um, But McCabe was crashing the net from left to right, and he picked up just a great back-to-front feed from Evan Rodriguez and takes it on one side, deposits, deposits uh, deposits it on the other, and excellent work from McCabe, who we'll also chat about in a couple of minutes. And then maybe the highlight goal of the night, um, Jack Eichel coming in at the end of a power play gets a short, or sorry, uh, penalty kill, excuse me. Um, 
breaks away on a shorthanded breakaway off a pilot playthrough. Lawrence Pilot also had a great game. Um, Jack cruises down the ice, totally melts the face of the goaltender and puts it over a sprawling goaltender and really impressive goal. And something that I was noticing throughout most of the game is just Jack's presence in the team in penalty kill situations. You saw a lot of opportunities where, and we were starting to see this last season too, where towards the end of a penalty kill and when if a team pulled the goalie and was chasing the game at the end, um, we'd see Jack Eichel get thrown out there. And especially with Ryan O'Reilly no longer being in the team, I think we're going to see Jack get out there for his pace and his finishing ability. Because And we really saw it here. He split two defenders right down the ice. There are very few defenders in this league who are going to catch Jack Eichel when he gets going. And he showed a ton of talent getting down the ice. Jack is still Jack. He showed it tonight. Um, outside of him, we're going to talk about three players who particularly impressed in this game. And the first one is Evan Rodriguez that we said we were going to talk about. Just showing great speed and skill. He was playing on a line with Middlestat and Pominville. He played that awesome pass to McCabe for the assist. And in that period, he played that same pass three or four times. And I would say if you had to pick the most incisive player, the player making the most incisive plays, I think it would have to be Evan Rodriguez. And uh, this is kind of uh, full disclosure here and full honesty here. This is a really big slap in the face to me because I have been a huge critic of Evan Rodriguez. I'm an Amrick season ticket holder. Evan Rodriguez didn't always get off to the greatest start. And, uh, I always used to joke that the only reason that Evan Rodriguez got this job because of Jack Eichel. And if uh, you're not familiar, uh, Evan was a line mate of Jack's at Boston University. And I always made the joke that like, if he didn't know Jack, he would never be here. And I, he's very much showing that he deserves a place in this NHL roster. He was shown it again last night. I, I think his name is firmly penciled in for one of those bottom six roles to start the season. He was really impressive on this game. Um, of course, everyone's going to want to hear about Rasmus Dahlin, and he was as advertised. It was really impressive. Um, he was pretty cautious coming out in the first couple of shifts. You could tell he was a little nervous. He really, the first couple of shifts passed almost without incident. But then almost with the just the flip of a switch on his fifth shift, he comes out, gets the puck on the blue line, and just makes this turn on a dime while still facing the goal, shifts a couple passes back and forth with a couple offensemen, and snaps one on goal. And, you know, you get those moments where a player does something really impressive and you get that, that big, oh, through the crowd. This you knew was impressive because there wasn't like a, oh, there was like a, wow, from the crowd. It was incredible. Just showed some really impressive flashes. And I think in the grand scheme of the game, we saw what I think we're going to see for a while from Rasmus Dahlin. And we need to remember he's young. And it would be wise, I think, to temper immediate expectations. He is touted as this generational talent. And it's very much easy to see why that's the case. But he also gave the puck away a few times in the defensive end, and he's going to want some of his defensive decisions back 
in this game, but his skating ability and awareness and playmaking ability were also very easy to see. He's got a lot of learning to do, but wow. Um, other side note of something that I just did not think we would see that when we were talking about a couple episodes ago, possible partners for Darlene, I never thought of Jake McCabe, but he was lined up next to Jake McCabe, and I'm starting to think that maybe that could be a pretty solid partner for him. We've been down on Jake McCabe for the last couple of seasons. Uh, he hasn't really panned out in what maybe we hoped he would be as uh, just high skating ability left-handed defenseman, but there are a couple qualities that he has that could really be appealing for Darlene. Um, first of all, he is an okay skater. And if he can skate well and keep up with Darlene and what Darlene's going to be able to do getting up and down the ice, that's only going to be helpful. He's also pretty close to what you would call like that modern stay-at-home defenseman. Like your dad's stay-at-home defenseman was literally a guy who stayed at home. He was fully defensive. He was fully shut down. Modern-day stay-at-home defensemen aren't shut-down defensemen. They're still puck playing, but they're more of just guys who can get back home the fastest. And McCabe has that ability. So if we're looking for a guy who can simultaneously keep up with Darlene with what he's going to be doing getting down the blue line, but also be able to get back to cover if Darlene is fully committed up the ice, this could be a good partner. McCabe's not defensively clueless. He could be better, but he's not clueless. Could be a good partner, especially if we start thinking that Rasmus Dahlin also is the left-handed defenseman who has been known to enjoy playing on the right. So finding Dahlin a left-handed defenseman to play with so that Dahlin can play on the right kind of points in the direction of McCabe as well. Um, something I had never thought of before but seemed to be working pretty well for them last night. I'm interested to see if that's what goes or what that's what we see as we go forward. And my third guy who was in incredibly impressive was the other Rasmus. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen just looks like a monster. And now that Darlene is here, you can see that Risto isn't the absolutely elite skater that we kind of hoped he would be when we took him first overall, or first overall, in the first round a couple years ago. There are some deficiencies there, but he was laying hits like crazy. And anyone following him on social media knows that he hit the gym this summer and it showed. And he actually, he ended up um, on the instigators on the radio earlier this week and they were asking about it. You know, they've been saying that you're leaner and meaner. Is, uh, is that the kind of player you want to be? Meaner. And he says, you know, in that thick Finnish accent, like, yeah, you know, I think if I finish the game and the opposition players hate me and want to kill me, then then that was a good performance. And one of the guys chuckles and goes, yeah, is that right? And uh, Risto just very curtly says, yeah, I like it. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that from, from him this season. Uh, he's not that guy we saw last season. He's not that guy who drops the gloves often, but he is that guy who lays on the hit and draws penalties. And that's exactly what happened this game. He laid a monster down the boards and immediately after got cross-checked, drew a penalty, and we were on the power play a minute later. So 
Very impressive performance from him last night. I think we're going to see a big season from him. He's someone who has been visibly ticked off at the lack of performance from this organization. You can tell, I think he wants to be here. He wants to see this team do well, and he is physically showing that he thinks it starts with him. Um, So three players who were really big standouts. Another player who was pretty solid that I want to mention before we move on, um, just an honorable mention, is uh, Rasmus Asplund. We've talked about him a couple times. He looked sharp, uh, sharp and I would say now has a really good shot at making the team after that Sean Malone injury. Um, Just a solid two-way player, able to contribute offensively, but seems to be very defensively aware. Uh, Other quick mentions, CJ Smith was okay in spurts. He's got good speed and he can stretch the play, but he lacked that kind of incisive end product. I think he's looking for another year in the AHL. And Lawrence Pilot was really steady um gets up and down the ice really well he's a solid skater and he played a great puck for the, the assist for Eichel's shorthanded puck um or shorthanded puck shorthanded goal so something that or three guys that you know weren't overwhelmingly impressive but something to look at um there were three players I pegged who underwhelmed and and again, just how we're not going to jump to any major conclusions about this team um, having a strong performance against the Penguins B team, I'm not about to you know write any of these guys off. And it's it's a preseason game, but there were a few guys who I, I was kind of really looking forward to seeing two in particular, and I never really found myself noticing them that often unless you were looking really hard. And the first one is Casey Middlestat, oddly enough. He was playing as a second-line center on the line with Pominville and Evan Rodriguez. We saw that Rodriguez was having a great game. Pominville was pretty sharp, too. He was really throwing himself around on the forecheck. And for a little guy, that was kind of surprising. For an older guy, that was kind of surprising as well. You could tell he was putting in the work. Casey Middlestat kind of struggled to impose himself in that same line. Um, Obviously, he's not the biggest guy, and his lack of size was showing a little bit. But he also just had some trouble finding space. He seemed to be getting closed down quickly, running out of room a little bit. And some of that really fast playmaking ability that we know he has was a little limited. Now, he did have an awesome, awesome play that he made uh, going down to the other end of the ice, did a little bit of a 360, tried to flip it back to Evan Rodriguez, but it ended up right behind Erod and he couldn't capitalize. It was a neat little highlight, would have been an absolute highlight reel goal, but I think focusing on that highlight kind of betrays the fact that that was maybe the only moment that he really showed a really impressive flash this game. And again, look, he's young, He's a little small, and this is not in any way pushing the panic button, but it might be the start of some signals that Casey Middlestat might not be quite ready to be that number two guy. And we've talked about this before that, you know, Ryan O'Reilly's going out, and Ryan O'Reilly was an excellent number two center who could contribute to different roles all over the ice. I don't know that Casey Middlestat's the guy that we want to step into that role, and especially after that quietly quite strong performance from Berglund the night before, I think Casey's going to find it a little harder to carve out that 
second line center spot that I think originally everybody wanted to slot him into, but might be starting to be less obviously his. Um, next player who was a little less than impressive was Marco Scandella, and he was solid um, for most of the night until it went quite wrong at the end of the night. Sabres are up 3 nothing. They take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit, and Scandella got literally pushed around for both goals that were let in. Um, is he directly and solely at fault for either or both of them? No, probably not. But like we talked about how McCabe is is not your your dad's definition of the stay-at-home defenseman. He's more of the modern stay-at-home defenseman. Scandella might be your dad's definition of the stay-at-home defenseman. He's a guy who's a little bit slower and is probably a, be- a little better suited for just staying at home. And if he starts to struggle doing that well, it doesn't bode too well, especially considering the abundance of left-handed defensive talent in the organization. Not writing him off, I quite like Scandella as well, um, but there were some some plays and some opportunities he's going to want back from this one. And my last guy who was just a little underwhelming and one of the guys that I, I was really excited to see and one of the reasons I bought the ticket and drove out to Buffalo uh, was Jeff Skinner. And he just didn't wow on his debut. He kind of struggled to find space and meaningful possession. And the line of Eichel, Skinner, and Akposo just didn't quite work. And now, like, Akposo wasn't great, but as much as I love him, like, Kyle Akposo lacking a little speed and finesse isn't new. Um, I really thought that, you know, that having the speed of Eichel on one line and the finesse and speed of Skinner as well on the same line that Akposo could maybe complement that with just some some hard work and some good plays. And it just didn't work. And Skinner's first outing wasn't a disaster, but it certainly wasn't one for the books either. Um, overall, a 3-2 performance. They let in two late ones at the end um, to you know make it a little nervous. But all in all, Successful outings, 2-0, and they continue their preseason campaign with playing a home-and-home against Toronto this weekend. The home game is Saturday night, and if the ticket prices are anywhere near what the ticket prices were for this first preseason game, I highly recommend going. I don't know for sure at this time what the lineups are going to look like, and that will be really interesting considering... Um, I don't know if in these two home-and-homes we're going to see a star lineup versus a star lineup with these two teams. I think it's very possible that we end up kind of mismatched and maybe see two games where somebody's stars play the other team's kind of beast team slash AHL team. I could really see a situation where they flip-flop. Maybe uh, Phil Housley and Mike Babcock get on the phone together and talk about you know, who they're going to play and what they're going to do. I don't know if that's something you do for preseason games to either try to give a show or to try to make sure that there isn't a show in preseason to make sure nobody gets hurt. I don't know if that's going to happen. So um, I can't really guarantee to you that if you go to the game on Saturday that you're going to see star players from both teams. Um, I will guarantee you one thing is that I bet there are going to be a million Leafs fans there if the tickets are that cheap. Uh, I mean, there are a million Leafs fans there when during the regular season, I'm sure if there are $6 tickets available, there will be a billion Leafs fans there. 
Um, but highly recommend it. That preseason game was a ton of fun last night. Definitely recommend checking it out on Saturday if you're free to go. We are going to move on to probably the most exciting news of the day. I'm sure you have all heard about the Sam Reinhart contract signing, and I want to start off by saying that last week I made a mistake. Um, Last week I talked about how we could remain positive in that Sam Reinhart was on the roster for preseason, and my evidence for that was that I talked about how a couple seasons ago uh, Risto was trying to sign out of his entry-level contract and had not signed yet but showed up to the first couple days of preseason because he felt that it was important that he was there and that he was contributing to the team and skating with the guys, and it was just a good faith effort appearance from him. Um, and I thought that that's what was going to be the case with Sam Reinhart, with his being on the roster, and that wasn't the case. He didn't show up for camp, um, which I don't blame him for. You're in a contract negotiation. like it, It's your choice, man. Um, but I was wrong about that last week, and so I just want to clear that up. But going into the contract, it was not what we were expecting. It's a two-year bridge deal for sure with a $3.65 million cap hit. And we talked in last week's episode about the question of what Reinhardt is actually worth after his tale of two seasons last year. If you remember from last week's episode, we talked about how he had an abysmal start to the season with 11 points uh, by January 1st, but then finishing the season with 50 points by the end of the season. Um, So that 39 points in the second half of the season left him somewhere in between the pace of like 75 and 80 points. So are you paying a 22-point player? Are you paying an 80-point player? Um, And so this contract negotiation was, was complicated, and that was increasingly complicated by some of the contracts that were going out this season, like Dylan Larkin getting well over $6 million, um, deciding, well, it's is Sam going to be a, a $4 million player or is he a $7 million player? And then on top of that, if you were going shorter term, you could probably get away with squeezing out that 4.5. If you're going longer term, people were probably thinking like 5.5 to 6. Comes out with the two-year bridge deal, and 3.65 is a steal at this time. But there are a couple asterisks that we need to consider. Um, Sam is probably a little grumpy that he didn't get the money we thought he might get. I mean, Jack Eichel makes $10 million, and he scored 25 goals last season. Sam Reinhart scored 25 goals last season, and he's going to make 3.65. And I think if we were him, that might be something that makes us a little grumpy. Um, but the good news for him is that if he shows himself to be the Sam Reinhardt of the second half of this most recent season, he's going to get paid at the end of this one. And right now for the Sabres, it keeps the numbers down for two seasons and it keeps them down way lower than we thought they were going to be. And that seems like a victory, but it does mean that a couple contracts are going to come up at the same time. Casey Middlestat and Sam Reinhart will be up in the same summer in two years, which is also the same summer that Darlene can begin negotiating for his new contract. Remember, Jack signed his $10 million extension two years into his entry-level contract, so he saw out his maximum rookie contract, and then this season starts the $10 million. 
we could do that with Darlene this time around if that's something that the organization wants to do. And that's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving numbers going on. And we've been really happy with what Jason Botterill has put together so far. And this is another sign that his job is really just beginning. You're starting to acquire these pieces. You're starting to acquire these assets. Now you've got to manage them. And this is going to be difficult, for lack of a better term, that you know, figuring out the numbers of this situation could be really tricky in a couple of seasons. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, these are mostly positives. This, Re- this Reinhardt contract is, is, is something to celebrate. It's good for the budget. It's good for the culture because no one should get paid after you finish bottom of the league. And this team has a promising future, especially in comparison to where they're coming from, but they haven't won anything yet. And we would have to worry about the culture that would possibly ensue if we started handing out big contracts to players who played on a bottom-of-the-league team. I mean, this team finished bottom of the league, and we've seen a pretty massive turnaround just in terms of who's here, not in terms of who's getting paid. And so this really sends a little bit of a message, like, Win first and show some promise first, and then we can get paid. Um, So that's the contract. Um, Overall, I'm pleased, and most overall, I'm just glad that it's done. That was not a huge distraction this summer, but when a player goes unsigned for that long, it's always nerve-wracking. And I'm glad that one of our major pieces and one of our major assets is locked in there wasn't any fear that he was going to walk he was a restricted fee agent he's going to be a restricted fee agent at the end of this contract but you're always nervous when you're one of your star players is unsigned just look across the lake at toronto and think about their fans with nylander at the moment um something to think about Moving on, we're going to talk about around town with what's going on in the division. And last week, we unpacked that patch already deal, and we talked about how two teams in the division were either talking about or actively pushing the blow-up button. And we talked about the patch already trade with how Montreal had sent him to Vegas. That was really the signal that they were committing to you know selling, selling the big assets and bringing in some smaller stuff, some younger stuff in particular, and... Ottawa had put out that really strange video with their owner, Eugene Melnick, talking about the plan going forward. And lo and behold, later this week, Eric Carlson is traded to the San Jose Sharks. He's got one year left on his contract, UFA at the end of the season, along with several other of their promising players, including Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne. That organization is a mess right now. And they needed to start selling assets for deals that they thought would help them in the future. And they pulled the trigger on this one. There are so many aspects of this trade. And I'm not going to go into them here, um, just back and forth items. You can look it all up for the details. But there are two major factors that actually genuinely affect the Sabres from this trade. Uh, Number one is obvious. The Senators are committing to a rebuild. And so if there was any doubt that the Senators could possibly just try to hold on to those three major UFAs and try to see it out and duke it out and try to push for anything that's gone now. And Eric Carlson is gone. They are committing to the rebuild. We'll see what happens with Duchesne and Stone going forward. Um, But 
they're, they're starting the process. The other one's a little more complicated, and it actually involves the Sharks' 2019 first-round draft pick. And if you are up with the times, that might have raised your eyebrows because you would say, well, wait a minute, the Sabres have the Sharks' 2019 draft pick. They got it from the Evander Kane trade, but there are some weird circumstances with that pick. The pick that the Sabres received for Evander Kane is lottery-protected. So if the Sharks don't make the playoffs... They get their 2019 draft pick back, and the Sabres would then get the Sharks' 2020 draft pick. The Sharks have now traded the lottery pick to the Senators. And so how this is going to work is that if the Sharks make the playoffs, that will not be a lottery pick in 2019, and the Sabres will take the 2019 pick, and Ottawa will take the Sa- or, I'm sorry, the Sharks' 2020 first round pick. If the Sharks don't make the playoffs, Ottawa gets that lottery pick now. So it's almost like the Sharks traded the better second half of a first round pick that they had held on to, if you want to think of it like that. Like they they had half a first round pick or the half the rights to a first round pick to give away and they gave it to Ottawa as one of many parts of this deal. Um, so something that's a little bit interesting, because of this, and this this isn't new, this was the case before, but because of this, there is a scenario where the Sabres actually only have their own first round 2019 pick this year. Because if you remember, that St. Louis pick is specifically top 10 protected. Now, all of those circumstances, for all of those circumstances to align where the Sabres don't take an extra 2019 draft pick are like, it would be such an extreme. You're talking about the St. Louis blues who have really armed up, not making the playoffs, which seems very unlikely. And you're talking about the already armed up San Jose sharks in an already somewhat weak division, not making the playoffs after adding Eric Carlson. And so this really is not something that Sabres fans, I feel like, need to worry about. What it really is, is that it's Ottawa trying desperately to have a top first round draft pick this year. Because if you are up with the times, you know that as a part of the Matt Duchesne trade and the fact that Ottawa took a first round pick in this most recent draft, Ottawa does not have their own first round pick this year. It belongs to the Avalanche. And Ottawa's going to be terrible, and they're going to be terrible in a year where they don't have their own first-round pick coming up. And if you, if you know who Jack Hughes is, they're going to be significantly bummed about that. So this is just a punt for Ottawa to try to get back into the top 10, back into the top 3, or like the stars would have to align for this pick that they would get to even be theirs, much less be a a number one overall pick, but they're trying to to take a shot at getting it. So that's where this came from. So in in a way, uh, the Senators trading Carlson does kind of affect the Sabres a little bit. Um, Moving on a little bit down the road, Blue Cross Arena, 
the home of the Amherst, is currently under contract with Pagula Sports Enterprises, and they've announced several new updates. If you are up to speed, you'll remember that PSE took over the remaining part of the lease from the previous owner, and the term actually expires at the end of this year, and PSE is currently negotiating with the city. There are some new updates. Uh, we're getting new scoreboard monitors. There are new security policies with metal detectors. The building is now committing fully to a no smoking policy, which um, is really all of that is just catching up with modern sports buildings in 2018. None of that is surprising. Um, it, it was always surprising me that Blue Cross Arena still had a smoking deck outside. Um, also announced is that uh, there's going to be some new concessions coming in. Delaware North is coming in, and I'm pretty sure that they are the same guys who run the stuff at the Bills games and maybe the Savers games, but I'm not positive on that. But we're going to see some new concessions in there as well as they continue to renovate and re-update Blue Cross Arena, which, as we've talked about, has been significantly needed in the last couple of years. And then there's also something that has nothing to do with hockey, but is very interesting in the Blue Cross Arena slash Rochester sports world. And it is that the Pagulas have announced that they are going to buy the Rochester Nighthawks starting for the 2019-2020 season. And specifically, they are buying the rights to the expansion team that will be in Rochester in 2019-2020. And if you're not up to speed, you're probably... Wondering, well, wait a minute, there's already a lacrosse team in Rochester. The Nighthawks are already there, but the owner of the Nighthawks, Kurt Styers, has announced that at the end of this coming season, he is going to take the current team to Halifax and start the team there. Rochester will still exist and have the Rochester Nighthawks. Um, but they will get an expansion team that will pull players from the rest of the league. And again, this is not hockey, but this is important um, in that Pagula already owns the Buffalo Bandits, and there was some grumbling there about him you know, owning two kind of down-the-road rivals. The Rochester-Buffalo rivalry is a really fun lacrosse rivalry. Um, both sets of fans are really well-traveled, going back and forth to the different home games. Um, but this move is really, at the end of the day, not about lacrosse. It's about leverage. And this is a power move for negotiations. The Pakulas and the city of Rochester have butted heads in the past. And this gives Pagula a ton of power because he now owns all of the major tenants that put on events in the arena and this contract for blue cross arena is expiring and the city's going to have to be really careful about what they try to say no to the pagulas about if they want to keep um these teams in rochester now i highly highly doubt that it would ever come to the moving of either of these teams but pagula made a great business move by buying the rights to this expansion team because now he's got the leverage there. So some interesting updates going on with the Rochester Americans and specifically the arena that they're going to be playing in for hopefully the next 10 to 15 years and beyond, although there, there are still some question marks about that. Things will be much more clear in about four or five months. 
And that's about it for our show today. If you have enjoyed hanging out with us, we would so appreciate it if you would pop over to iTunes and subscribe and leave us a nice handy review. Outside of the show, we'd love to see you guys on Twitter. Uh, if you can find us, follow us, and yell questions or concerns at us at ickgaw, that's I-C-G-A-W, on Twitter. And you can also email us at ickgawpod at gmail.com. We'll be here next week, finally previewing what we've been waiting for for so long, the opening week of the regular season, where the Sabres start off with four at home against the Boston Bruins, New York Rangers, Vegas Golden Knights, and Colorado Avalanche. If you got anything you would like us to chat about in those or for those games, uh, tweet us and we'll get right after your questions. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Dip in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the Oh!